I, I, I get a chance. I can work with a client. They're a cancer development company using AI to help cure cancers. Like, that's really cool. I'll go help you, right? Like, I don't just sit on a beach all day, but I don't have the responsibility because I, I decided like, okay, I'm going to pull the ripcord. Like, I'm, I'm pulling the chips off the table and like, maybe I have enough. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'll get more. Maybe I want. I don't know. But just that action alone has been so freeing and like. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show is part two of our interview with Brant Convitic. If you missed part one, please go back and listen to all his exploits in Hollywood and reality TV shows and best-selling books and, and all this excitement. But I, I just learned a very important piece of information. Tell people where you grew up. I grew up in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Okay, so I grew up in Alberta, and I've got cousins in uh, Nanaimo and friends in Courtney, and oh I think that oh you live in like hands. I mean, I love Banff. I love Interior BC. I love um, yeah, of course some of this stuff. But I think that you for sure live in the most beautiful part of Canada. Is where you grew up. That, that island's amazing. Yeah, that it was a spectacular place to be from. Um, I went surfing in Tofino because I'd spend living in. Orange County, like Huntington Beach too. and San Clemente, and it's great. Yeah. Freezing, but I was surprised at how great the surfing in Tofino is. Like, it's legit. Yeah, I grew up surfing out there. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. I mean, you got to really want to surf. Like, that is a commitment. Because one, you got to get there, which is no easy. Then you got to stay somewhere there, which is no easy task. Then you got to get in that water, which is no easy task. You know? So you got to be committed. I will say, like, you know, like, in Europe when they do like Formula One races on the streets of Monaco or something like this, right? I feel like that we've really missed the boat. Like, I think that that, I don't know what the road is. Like when you turn, you know, you're going up the uh, east side of the island and then you turn left to head out to Tofino. Whatever road that is needs to be yes. like a professional rally car road because the ups and downs and twists, yes. like that's a pre-made rally car track, right? Yeah. Oh, I've done that road so many times. Oh my. So I'm interested in any advantages you think you have having grown up Canadian now doing business in the States all these years. That's a good question. You know, Canada is a, is a very stifling economic location. I, that's the way I would describe the culture. And people think that because it's so, so close to the United States and we have so much similarities that it's like, they assume that we're the same. We're not. And I struggled in Canada as an entrepreneur and it was very painful and long and awful and nothing worked. And I was that guy who had these dumb ideas and was always out of his mind and couldn't see reality. Right. And then the second I moved to the United States, it felt like everything changed because in the United States, they valued potential and, and possibility. And it, it was like the big ideas and it was just a whole other world. And I remember very specifically you know, I had been in, it was Christmas time. So I'd been in the United States for probably seven months, maybe eight months total. I'm driving down the 405 in my convertible Sebring. I have a Blackberry, which is the, my company had given me, which was like so cool and new. And I was sending these like, hey, Merry Christmas or have a great break. I'll see you when we get back. And let, you know, because Hollywood shuts down over Christmas break. And I realized like, oh my God, I, 
I've, I have more friends that care about me, that are interested in me, that I, that I have interaction with in seven months living in Los Angeles than I did in 30 years back home in Canada. And it was just because the people in the United States that I connected with just, it was my, it was my home. It was where my people were. This is where I was meant to be. And it just, it allowed me to be the person I wanted to be, the father I wanted to be, the husband I wanted to be, the friend I wanted to be. It allowed me to be the person, like who I really thought I could be, but never was. And so maybe it changed me and I became this, this person. Or maybe it was just the place I was supposed to be the, the entire time. Maybe I was just in the wrong spot. And so I think that, you know, the opportunity and the ability to sort of like find people who are driven to find success as well and believe that they can make it as it's just like it's just a, an inviting wonderful culture i feel similar in so many ways i am um, so i married a california girl we went back to calgary for five years and she did right. say canadians are have they're a little more fun like they they're they have a higher priority on jokes and laughter and and this kind of stuff right but man if you're willing to take personal responsibility i i I think that America is the best place for opportunity. I just, yeah. I, I think one of the other things too is like, and people just think bigger. Like I know the States has 10 times the population. I think people think a lot more than 10 times bigger down here in general. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, it makes me kind of grateful. Like I feel like, oh man, I'm in the States. We could, anything is possible. We could make anything happen. A- anything. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's just, it's just, it's hard to not, it's hard to not like put it in context of that, right? Like I was broke and miserable and not super well liked and just trouble for 30 years of my life. I moved to the United States. I'm none of those things. Like I'm rich. Like I don't tell you everything's gone well. Like it's hard to be, it's hard to look at those two things and not be like, that was not good. This is amazing. Yeah. End of story. I will say I don't have a ton of tolerance for the people down here who promote like these stories about like exaggerated victimhood, like there are real victims. There are, there are people who got, they, they should, they got born in life with a better situation or a not so good situation. Right. But I have just met so many people time after time, regardless of their situation that in America invented their own future, you know, like, yeah. Well, and and the the real world's not like that. The real world is not like what you read on social media or on the news. It's not like that. There is not a bunch of people whining and complaining and yelling at each other and being upset and being offended. That doesn't exist. I I have now traveled, I mean, arguably in in the next, you know, I got 40 days left. I will have traveled to all 48 states. I will have met people. I've done, I will have done 200 different activities. I've probably seen more of the United States in a variety of areas than anybody else this year. And I can tell you that People in general, very happy, very content, looking to, to make their lives better, like connecting with people. Like it's hard to find people who are disgruntled. Maybe online it's easy and in social media, but in the real world, it's not like that. Everybody's trying to do best for their kids. They're trying to get like, it's been the most eye-opening journey to go through the middle of the country and realize how wonderful, kind, generous, like, and, and just, we have so much value in common as Americans, North Americans, like it's stunning to see how much we have in common with everybody. And, and, you know, we've been in, in the mountains in Sedona out to the coast of Maine, like people are the same. And the things that, that we share in common, 
are like like out of the hundred things, like 99, 98 of them are identical. And you, yeah, somebody from this city and this city might have two or three things that they differ on. One of those might be politics. One of those could be COVID vaccines. But other than that, everything else in their lives are pretty similar. And that you see when you get out and re- meet real people. You know, if you want to feel a lot more connected to your, your fellow Americans or fellow Canadians, go to go to China. <laughs> go to one of these like very densely located streets where it's like, you know, I'm like 6'3". So I remember one street. It was like the equivalent of like, I don't know, four lane highway it felt like. And it was just like a sea of black hair, right? You see, yeah. you see one other dude with an American accent and you feel like it's like your long lost best friend, right? Right. Where back home you can have so many differences, but right there you're like, man, we are very similar, right? Yes. So I, I, a question, I don't know if you, if you put this in the book, how many TV shows do you think you successfully sold? Or, you know, I pilots mean, you got funded thing. or whatever, yeah. approximately. Well, it. If you're talking about like projects sold to a net network that we started working on, it's probably close to a thousand at this point. Projects that that really went somewhere is about three and on the air as a series. I think it's probably like seventy something like that, sixty something, you know. And you know, most of them you've never heard of to save your life. That's the way life. That's the way it goes, you know. Um, so yeah, I had I had a very good run, uh, you know, and also it was at, at a time when when reality was really exploding and everybody was buying, and I and I you know and, and I remember specifically the sort of the change for me as I was in the lobby at CBS waiting to go into the pitch room to pitch, and out of the lobby, out of the pitch room, watch walk Simon Cowell, and he comes and says hi, a big hug, and we're talking, and I and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I can't believe I have to pitch after Simon Cowell, like this sucks, right? Act to follow, you know. And, and I'm bummed. And as I'm, you know, making small talk, I can see him sort of like looking over my shoulder. And I, it's Mark Burnett walks in. And so he's going to be going in the pitch room after me. And for and people so who thinking, don't oh, know, Mark Burnett, can you can you talk about in addition Survivor? and Mark Burnett is one of the, yeah, Survivor, The Apprentice, basically every major reality show that was originated and started the genre. He basically is the greatest reality producer ever one of the top TV producers, you know, and same Simon Cowell, you, you know, from American Idol. So the biggest names, by the way, back then they were, I mean, I'm not even that much closer to them today. They're so far ahead of where I, so it was daunting to going into a pitch room after these two Titans. Right. And I remember getting this anxiety, like, Oh my, what am I going to say? Like, how, how am I going to be interesting? Like what small talk am I going to use this time? Like, how am I going to compete with these guys? And as we were going in the room, I just panicked. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I got to get out of this room as fast as I can. Like, I'm just going to tell the network, just tell the president of the network, here's the show. Here's why we think it's good for CBS. Here's the work we've done on it. Here's how we produce it. Bye. And I think I was in and out of that room in like nine minutes from introductions and sit down and agents and laughing and like nine minutes gone. Bought the show. My agent was like, that was like the best pitch we've ever had. I'm like, and I was like, I, I know what you're talking about. Like, I did nothing. And so I started doing that. And I got this reputation of like having the best pitches in Hollywood. And it's like, I'm not doing much. Like I'm not selling you anything. I'm literally just laying it out clear. And what I realized was after, you know, from being on that side of the table where I got pitches as a producer, I was like, Oh, right. You know what I really want to hear as the guy who sits in the chair. I just want to hear what the show is, how you think it's going to work, how you might produce it, maybe what it costs. Like that's it. And I realized that when I was at NBC pitching a show and I was looking at the, the, and I was like, 
Paul Telegny, who was running NBC at the time, is a better producer than I am. He's produced more shows. He sold more shows. He's been in the business longer. He was on, he ran the BBC production company for years. Now he's running NBC. Like, what on earth am I going to tell him about this TV show that he doesn't know? The second I pitched him, he's kind of kind of already put it together. I mean, he may be better than me. So I would just go in and be like, here's what it is. Here's how it works. This is why we think it's going to be good for NBC. And he'd get into it or not. And it was like, I was able to sell so many shows. Oh my, sold them like crazy. And then, you know, the TV is a, is a messy business because then you got to go make it and you got to get them to pay for it and you got to get them to promote it. But my job was go pitch shows. Bang. I love it. So obviously I think everybody should be going to brandfinfitic.com and getting their own copy of the book. And, and of course I'm a, I'm an audible loyalist. I think they need to start sending me some fees, by the way. The audiobook yeah. is great. Three minute rule.com. You can go there too. Well produced. So in addition to what's in the book, in addition to what we've covered, you have obviously accomplished a lot in a hyper-competitive industry. You know, even though there's folks above you, you've accomplished more than kind of 99% of people down there. In addition to the principles in the book, what else do you attribute your success to? You know, I think the truth is, is that I went through a period, and I think it is growing up in Canada really helped me because... There were times where I was very defeated and had to find ways through that, right? And specifically, I was trying to raise money for something I was doing. And I remember, like, I'd been, I had been in living rooms with people. And if I didn't get a $5,000 check, I wouldn't eat. Like, I've been in that situation. And what it taught me was not how to be clever sales guy, but how to pitch your idea without sounding desperate because I was desperate, right? And I was dealing with people who just didn't believe in potential or risk. And so it's like, it, it taught me how to be in those situations and to be delusionally optimistic. And I think that helped me a lot as I was delusionally optimistic. I always believed it was going to work out. I would always find another way to do this. You know, and it's like, I think that finding success in an unconventional way didn't help my delusions, right? Like, my parent, my dad sat me down after I came, you know, before I went to Los Angeles and he was like, you got to get a real job. Like it, it's over, like stop trying this dumb stuff, you know? And unfortunately it went the opposite direction. It's like, see, he told you dad, like, which, you know, and I, and I teach a lot in high schools and stuff. And I say like, you can't look at someone else's highlight reel as your roadmap. And that is a real problem today is that people look at my career and they want to like, maybe they could do the same thing I did. It's like, no, you're only seeing the highlights. And so I think that having gone through that struggle of, of finding who I was and the, and the ability to be successful helped me so that when I found a smidgen of success, I was so drawn to that. And I think that's why I, I did well in that industry is that it was the first time in my life that I felt supported, surrounded by people who wanted the best for me. And I found success. And when you, when you don't succeed at things, finding a little bit of success is so joyous. And I could be good at this job. And people really responded when I was. And that came with friends and colleagues and peers and money. I mean, you know, I grew up pretty poor in, in Canada and like those, those things that went 
in a way, like Hollywood can be a very lucrative career when things are going well. And it, it was very strange for us, you know, like to be in that mode where they are, you know, we, we, when I moved from, from California or from Victoria, we were living off my wife's salary. She was making like $39,000 at IBM and I had, I had nothing. I didn't have a job. I was just losing us money. And my first, very first contract, one year contract in Los Angeles was $110,000 a year. And it was like, okay, well, we'll move to Los Angeles. They'll figure out I'm a fraud because I don't know anything about television. And then we'll move back and we're rich, right? And, and so you're just like this. You get addicted to that feeling. It just made me want to be and do better and study harder and work harder and reach out to more people and be more open. And like, that's why I did well socially is that I just love people who want the best out of life and are striving and, you know, that's, that was it. That was a big piece of me. I love it. I think about, it's funny. I, I feel like I relate to certain parts of your story, you know, I love my parents. They actually had like this super great childhood, but you know, my mom's a nurse and my dad worked for the government of Alberta. Like they were not, they were right. not the models of entrepreneurship for me. Right. Right. When you think about what's next for you, like you've had, you had such a great career in what you did. The book's done so well. You're in demand. Yeah. You, you kind of have options. What 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 gets you excited about your future? What's what do you look? I am trying to continue my sort of basic retirement kind of thing. You know, I spent a lot of time chasing a lot of money, and that wears on you. And you realize that like, when is enough enough for people who are high performers? They blow that. I got that mode where I wasn't enjoying the fruits of my labor as much as I really wanted to, and it was very difficult for me to find that. And so, when I left television, the day to day of producing television, and I went into the book, I had this euphoric moment of oh my, I don't have to be that guy in TV like grinding, right? Just to grind. And then the book you know, seemed to go well. The publisher, they got very excited. They gave me a really fancy release date and la, la, la. And then promoting the book was right back in the grind. And as as the book exploded and, and you know, I got more clients. Again, I was chasing, I, I say it now, I was, like, I was chasing logos for my website, right? I wanted big companies. I wanted Fortune 1. Like, I was chasing that. And for me, once I started doing more of my charity stuff, and I started looking for like, what else brings me joy in my adventure club and doing fun traveling and things that are just normal. It's kind of like, okay, well, I'm not chasing that anymore. And that's why it's like, when you ask me, it's like, I don't need to sell any more books. You, you can't hire me anymore. Like I don't take on new clients. I don't have anything to go to my website. It's not like I'm like buy my course or like sign up for my free seminar. Like that is such a wonderful place to be. And Am I leaving a pile of money on the table? Probably, but I don't need it right now. You know, like I like doing fun stuff. I'm more, I'm more inclined to spend the next 25 years, spend all the money I have and then go work at Walmart as a, as a greeter at 70 years old than I am to try to like stay in the game and, and make a few more zeros and then like try to figure out how to enjoy myself. Like I am really focused on doing what I do for, not even for the love of it. Cause that's like a, cliche and it isn't that i do like helping people but i like it without responsibility 
Like I do more free work now than I've ever done, mostly because I don't like to say no to people. And so, because if I, if I say no, then people won't tell me I'm pretty. And then my ego won't get filled. Like, that's all I want. I just want you to tell me I'm pretty, right? <laughs> and so now if I do free work for you, A, you tell me how great I am. B, I don't have to produce anything. I don't. Have to do, I have no responsibility. And that for me is a is a joy right now in my life. It is an absolute joy. And when I so I do a lot of training in high performance, like big athletes, major sports teams I work with now, on high intensity performance living, which is being able to be as good as a professional fun haver, leisure time parent as you are on the court. Right? You are a superstar on the court, but you're very average when you go back home and as a friend or as a husband and i train people how density lifestyle where they win all the time you know and i and i use that as a good example like when i have a weekend like i try to make sure if there was an award for best weekend i'd be in the top three i'd be getting a medal you know and i try to do that like kind of every day so So it excites me that i will continue i'm going to see if i can continue to work on that this is interesting we need you to write a book on this one okay I feel like I had kind of like a big aha moment. You know, like there's all these cliches like, you know, work to live, don't live to work and stuff like this. And everybody's heard it and you think about it. Yeah. But like, I don't know that I had internalized it. Like lately, I feel like it'd been the other way around. And I was lucky enough to take the family over to Hawaii for a couple of weeks this month. And I haven't worked that little in years. Like, right. you know, and, and then I thought like, what? why is this this rare occurrence? Like my previous track record should let me know, like we could be doing this a lot more often, like, like complete disconnect, you know? And it was just about teaching my kids to surf. It was just about taking my boys to the skate park. It was, you know what I mean? And like getting shave ice was like, was like the, the big stress of like, we're going to do that before dinner or after dinner or both. (laughs) Yeah. But I think where people, and this is what I, I teach a lot. I, I write for Forbes and I wrote an article about this, you know, and the idea was what happens when the coyote catches the roadrunner, right? Like, what does he say? Like, oh, oh, thank I finally caught him. Now I can go back to my normal life. It's like, no, he's like, okay, well, what do I chase now? Right. And the problem is, is when you look at like vacations or you look at time off and you look at that as downtime in intensity, it doesn't provide you with what you need in life. You need fulfillment. You need to be able to set up targets and knock them down. You need to feel accomplishment. This is what, what we, particularly men, need. We need this drive. We need to feel victorious. We need to feel like a win. And what's crazy is if, like, and here's a great example. If I knocked on your door tonight at 3 a.m. with a baseball in hand, you'd be like, what the hell are you doing here at 3 in the morning? I was like, listen. Hundred bucks says you can't hit this tree in front with this baseball. I'll give you three tries. You'd be like, it's three AM, my neighbors. You'd be like, that tree there, fifty yards? I could do that, right? Like your brain <laughs> is geared so for competition yourself. Like we need that. And what happens is you can't turn that off because you're gonna go to Hawaii for the weekend and relax and do nothing. Yeah, you and I, once in a while. I probably should have clarified I probably should have clarified a little bit. Yeah. I was, you know, again different personality than my dad growing up, right? I was flat out accused of being a hedonist as a high schooler, right? And I was like, what does that mean, dad? He's just go look it up. So I look it up and I'm reading, I'm reading like the the Oxford Dictionary definition of hedonist. I was like, but dad, you said this like it was a bad thing. What's, what's wrong with this? This is what I was looking for. And like, I was really trying to get enough money so that I could do as much action sports as I wanted. 
And hence the reason that I was so stoked to talk my wife into letting us build a house. Like we're just outside the National Forest, the Uinta National Forest across from right. Park City. So we can go snowmobile, snowboard out the backyard to like 10,000 foot elevation peaks right there, right? And to me, getting to Hawaii and surfing hard, like I, I literally had thoughts about no longer being an investment banker to just be a pro surfer when I was in Huntington Beach. Right. So Hawaii is different for me than for other folks because like I'm not interested yeah. in Kauai. I'm not interested in... In the four seasons, I'm interested in North Shore, where we stayed, right? Right. But this idea of like, I feel, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, I feel like so much human happiness is tied to progress. And yes. the problem is the only progress that I've been doing is money progress. And I'm like, That's right. I didn't actually really care about being that. rich That's the point. as much as like being rich so that I could progress at action sports with my friends and my right. kids now. You know what I mean? Well, and I think that's where the line is, right? And and the idea is you work to live, play, all that is just the fact is, is you want to work as hard as you can in those great years and stack as much paper as you can possibly get. But the key is to be like, I just want to make money so I can go do action sports all day. How much money is that? Like you keep moving the goalposts. We keep moving the goalposts on that, right? When I was 20 something years old, I was like, if I could just figure out how to make $2,000 a month, I'd be happy for the rest of my life. Right. And so, well, when do you finally say, okay, if it never got better than this, if this was it the entire time, could that be enough? Could you be happy? Right. And if you can't say yes, then you have a problem. You have one of two choices train yourself so that you can say yes or get to a point where you can say yes. Right. People in their, when they're youth or when they're struggling are trying to get to a point where they could be like, yes, if it was like this all the time, I'd be happy. And for me, that's been hard. And like Tony helped me with that. But like I say, like, if I gave you my Amex card and was like, listen, I'm paying for your lifestyle from here on in for the next 10 years, exactly the way you live now. So I'll I literally had this conversation with myself this week. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so happy you're talking about this because I actually really enjoy business. Like, I think it's a fun sport. But what I right. mostly want to do is like, Go do action sports with my action sports buddies and all like the special ops guys that that volunteer at our charity and help our charity like, right, combat child trafficking. And then I want to like I still want to work on business. I still want to work on investments for like I want to check in on that for an hour before we head back to the backcountry. You know, like I want to yeah. I want to fly somewhere and do that for a weekend, like for the business trips in between the like with my my kids and my friends having adventures. Well, and that is the sort of the key and what I sort of what I a lot of what I teach now is that finding that intensity across the board. And it's like, you know, you you have the ability to do that. It's more mental than it is physical and financial. Right. And I've been, you know, it's been a while. It's been a couple of years that I've had to get into this mode. Right. Because but you're right. Like I, 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 I get a chance. I can work with a client. They're a cancer development company using AI to help cure cancer. It's like, that's really cool. I'll go help you. Right. Like I don't just sit on a beach all day, but I don't have the responsibility because I, I decided like, okay, I'm going to pull the ripcord. Like I'm, I'm pulling the chips off the table and like, maybe I have enough. Maybe I don't, maybe I'll get more. Maybe I want, I don't know. But just that action alone has been so freeing and like, it's stunning. And I've just been like, okay, well, this is what people get. And I have a lot of wealthy friends 
who sold their companies for millions and hundreds of millions of dollars and go to work the next day. And it's like, I get it. You can say you love work. It's like, and that's because you do love work because you've trained yourself over the years to find joy in that activity. That's what fulfills you. That's what puts up the targets. That's where you knock it down. That's where you feel success. That's where you feel power. That's where you feel planning and execution and you feel all those things. And everything else on the side gives you no pleasure, no bonus because you're an amateur at that. And you have to train yourself to be as good on the off time as you are in the office. It's training. There's no magic bullet to that. Well, and I think this and is I, why Hawaii was so good for me is it was like this reset. Like on Saturday, me and one of my best friends, action sports guy, we went further into the U.S. than we usually go. And we got on top of this like 10,000 foot, 10,600 foot elevation peak that I've never been on top of before with dirt bike. We got up there with dirt bikes and found like a super, like super steep snowboard run for the winter that we'd never been to. And I think for me, like, I just haven't valued that enough. That was like, oh yeah, if you have enough spare time, it's like, who has spare time? I have four kids. I, I have three companies right. and a charity and four kids. Why don't we have spare time? And it's like, no, choosing that that is going to be as valuable as one of my companies was like yeah, this and if you could, switch that clicked for me. And if you can start to train, because again, it's not instant. You have to train your brain physiologically to appreciate the victory of that and to to take as much value from succeeding in that process as you do at being at the office, working at your company or planning your kid's birthday party has got to feel like as much of a win as planning any other piece of business. Right. And that just takes, that takes an exercise. And, and this is the exercise I, I use with my teams and stuff is the next time you go out to dinner, imagine if the waiter or waitress at the end of their shift was like, okay, I want you to rate the customers you had and pick your top three customers for the day. Like, what would you do to get in, in their top three? How would you act, right? You're in that restaurant for an hour. How do you act? Or even better, and usually, because wherever I'm working with the teams, this is like, when you go to the valet to pick up your car, right? If I ask the valet at the end of this, which one of these guys is your favorite valet customer today? It's like, you have a six minute interaction. So for six minutes, can you basically win this situation right <laughs> i love this and oh yeah well you see when i do it on stage because i'll do it on stage with a crowd and i'll tell the crowd by the way whoever the organizers gave me a thousand dollar prize here's what we're gonna do we're gonna have a walk the stage contest you get seven steps across the front of the stage whoever walks these seven the best wins a thousand bucks so i can't have you get up here and then try to think of what you're gonna do so we're gonna take about 30 seconds i want you to think about how you're gonna walk because all it is is whoever walks the best that's it and then i want you to picture that Okay, and everybody goes. Now see the people in the rows, their chest fill, their smiles. They're picturing themselves, right? And then it's like, ah, there's no prize. But I want you to picture out what, what <laughs> I was like. You would have got up on this stage, right? And and walk to try to own that seven steps, right? And with the with the Clippers, I did it up these this stairway. We're gonna have a walk up the stairs. Whoever walks up the stairs the best. And you get seven. It's just ridiculous. But because there's a, a an air of competition, a contest, a, something that you can feel victory, or you could like all of a sudden it, it triggers what we do. And so if you're gonna go pick up your car at Valley, or you're gonna be at the restaurant today, how do you make? If you go out in and get gas, how do you make that cashier at the end when he's giving away his top three customers of the day? What would you do? to be one of those people, right? How would you act? What would you look like? What would you say? How would you win that moment? That mo one moment, right? 
And then you do that more often and you find that it becomes more natural to you. It's not a struggle. You're not faking it because people always ask about that. Were you just faking it? It's like, no, you're training, right? When, when, when the Clippers go to a practice, they're shooting. Those, those baskets don't count. Oh, what are you faking basketball? No, they're shooting and they're playing at an intense level in practice, not to get more skill, but to train themselves to be in the moment when it counts. What you find is the more you reinforce those, I, I win these situations. I go to the gas station, I win that situation. I'm taking my wife shopping. I don't want to go shopping. But if there was a prize for best husband for three hours at a mall on a Saturday, <laughs> could I take, could I be on the podium? What would I do to win that prize, right? And like, I, tr- I do that because I want to train to be at the, at the podium. And, I've been, and I do that so that more of my life is filled with this kind of like, I won the situation. I won the day. I won the hour. I, I go somewhere fishing. I, I, we come back on because I do these adventures on my adventure club. And like we come back and it's like, we're walking through the airport. It's like, I think we won. Like, we won the weekend. Like, and because you're looking for ways to succeed at that. And you find that your brain doesn't know the difference between typing on a keyboard an email that might close you a deal and running in the woods with a bow and arrow. Like your brain knows winning <laughs> and victory and feeling fulfilled and feeling success. And you can train your brain to feel that sitting on a beach. People ask me all the time, don't you take a break? Like, don't you relax? And I'm like, yeah, if I decide to take an afternoon off at the pool, like I do that at a high level. If I go have a nap, it's fantastic. Like, I'm a world champion nap haver because I go to have a great day doing nothing at the pool, right? Like that is, it's not about enjoying that moment. It's about building those practices over a long term. And then it becomes more natural and you live your life more in those moments. And unfortunately it makes work less desirable. It's like, wait, why would I do that? Like, you know, that's where I'm at now. Hence, I'm in a trailer in North Dakota. This is so great. P.S. If you write that book, I'll buy your first copy. Man. Hey, listen, I really appreciate making time for this. Anything we haven't covered Love you want to cover? No, that's got it. That absolutely got it. If you want to you find me, I'm at brantvid.com. Or if you want to see my crazy uh, jersey in this, uh, the journey in the RV at rejectaverage.com. You can see my travel stuff where I've loaded my family in a gigantic trailer and wild truck. And I've been touring all 48 states, meeting cool, interesting people and doing wild, fun, adventurous things. And tell me that one again. It's reject. Rejectaverage.com. Okay. I'm, I'm headed right there. Okay. Yeah, you'll love it. Well, I mean, you will freak out. So it's right up your alley. Okay. This is awesome. I'm headed there now. Thanks, everybody, for listening.